Awesome. Hey, good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? So good to see you all today. This is that moment where we encourage you to grab the Connect card and you can use it as a fan this morning. Yeah. Amen. It's so hot in here. God bless. Um, I want to say thank you to the worship team. Why don't we put our hands together for the worship team this morning? Thank you guys so much for doing what you do behind the scenes uh, to come to this moment and lead us in worship. So we've come around the Word of God, so why don't you go on ahead, take out your Bibles and your Bible apps. Uh, we're going to pray. Jesus, we place you at the center of this moment. Jesus, we refuse to be distracted by how hot it is in here or by our emotions or how we are feeling. And so we fix our eyes on you this moment. You are the bread of life. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that our souls would be nourished with the bread of life this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. Uh, we revere your word, God. We honor your word this morning, and we bring ourselves under the authority of your word. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been so excited to soon be welcoming the arrival of our baby boy, baby Declan. We can't wait to meet him. In preparation for his arrival, we've been doing some work around the house painting things, we've been paneling things, folding things, cleaning things, binning things, moving things. But one day we were out shopping and um, for a number of things and we came to Dress Smart in Onehunga. And as usual, the car park was absolutely packed, so full. And so the quest to find the car park began. We drove up to the top parking, went through the aisles, no park, came down to the other level, went through the parks, the car park, no car park, Went down another level, went through the aisles, still no car park, circled around another part of the car park, still no car park anywhere. But just as we pulled up to this particular part and section of the car park, this car's light came on. They were about to reverse. And so I brought myself to a halt, put my indicator on and waited for them to reverse. So I was so excited. After driving around for so long and not being able to find a car park, we were finally able to get one. And now as we are standing there, I noticed just opposite to where we were, were parked, um, there were a bunch of cars that were starting to build up. They're starting to, to queue up on the opposite side. They couldn't move because this car that was reversing needed all of the space to be able to reverse and so. And so we just, just waited. But you won't believe what happened next. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> just as this car park, this, this you know, lovely person went to leave the park and drive off. Look, the park there, the cars that were on the other side, this guy that was on the other side waiting, starts to go in. Yes, they're trying to steal my car park. <laughs> the car park that I found. The car park that I indicated for. The car park that I worked hard to get. And this other driver thought that they could just slip on in like I wasn't going to do anything. You caught the wrong one today. <laughs> so I moved my car forward and I started to beep the horn and I was like, no, 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 no. Meanwhile, Haley's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And so the person is looking at us, but get this, they look at us and they're still slipping on into the car park. <laughs> and so I'm like, in my mind, Lord Jesus, help. They ultimately got the message and they drove to find another car park. I don't know what it was like, what it was. I don't know what it was, but there was just this sense of fairness that came over me. It was not fair that I had waited that long and then they just came along and tried to take my car park. It was not fair that they saw me waiting and indicating and yet they still tried their life. It's not fair that this happened to me. Have you ever felt like that before? No? Every, yeah, oh, <laughs> come up for prayer after the service. <laughs> 
Have you ever felt like something was unfair? You looked at how hard you worked. You looked at, how, at what you've done. You looked at the history of how you got to where you were. And then suddenly someone skips the entire queue of life's hardships. Someone skips a million steps that you had to take. They skip an entire process that you had to endure and ended up exactly where you were. That ain't fair. Ever felt like that before? You know, I bet every single one of us could tell our own version and experience of something unfair that might have happened to us. I mean, we all probably have someone in our world who is, in our not so humble opinion, never earned nor deserved what they got. Like that one person who turns up late every day to work and still gets paid a full day's wage. Or that one person who got the promotion today, but only got here yesterday. Or that one person who recently got recognition for doing an incredible job, and it's the same job that you've been doing for the last 20 years, and in your opinion, you did it better. We all know someone who we feel like didn't deserve to be the player of the match because we worked harder on the field. We all know someone who we felt like shouldn't be in the leadership position because they didn't have enough experience like we did. We know people who, in our opinion, didn't deserve the job. They didn't deserve the promotion. They don't deserve the pay rise. They don't deserve the recognition. And the most annoying thing about it all is that we work longer and we try harder, and yet it just seems like it doesn't make any difference. Did you know that more often than not, we view the world, we view ourselves, and we view the people around us through the lens of fairness? Did you know that? It's true. From a very young age, we've been taught that fairness matters. You've got to be fair. You have to be fair. There has to be fairness. I mean, if you just watch a bunch of kids play, it won't be long till you hear one of them saying, that's not fair. But have you noticed that it's not just children who want fairness? Nah, we adults, we want fairness too. You see, we love fairness. Maybe it's because it gives us an assurance of order. Maybe because fairness, we like the predictability of fairness. Or maybe we like the control and the hierarchy that fairness brings us. We love fairness so much so that we're getting to the point now where we would choose fairness over love. We would choose fairness over acceptance. We would choose fairness over mercy, fairness over forgiveness, fairness over generosity. Fairness is now the measure, measure by which we act and judge another person. It's the way that we look at circumstances that happen in our lives. But the thing that you need to understand about fairness is that it is wage-based. Fairness is about getting what you deserve. It's based on how hard you work. It's based on what you achieve. It's based on the way in which you behave. That's why sometimes it's fair to give a reward and other times it's fair to give a punishment. We live and promote a wage-based society where you work to get what you earn. A society where you deserve the consequences of your actions, whether good or bad. A society that says you get what you've worked for. But what happens when divine goodness trumps human fairness? What happens when forgiveness surpasses human fairness? What happens when divine love, divine mercy, acceptance all start to outshine human fairness? What happens when divine grace trumps human fairness? God's word has something to say about this. I'm going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. I'm reading from the ESV version. Here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. 
And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And so he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But the master replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. God bless the reading of his word. Today's message is titled Human Fairness versus Divine Grace. Our text this morning is a parable that Jesus tells in response to one of the disciples' questions. In chapter 19, we see a number of things happening. Jesus is giving quite the dissertation about marriage and divorce. We read that he blesses the children after the disciples scold the parents of the children for allowing them to get to Jesus. We also read Jesus' response to a rich young man who asks the question, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says to him, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You see, Jesus wasn't calling the man away from treasure. Jesus was calling him to treasure. The man just failed to see that Jesus is infinitely better than any treasures that this world has to offer. The Bible says a rich man walks away so sorrowful, having realized how many possessions that he had. But Peter then asks Jesus the question and he says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? So what are we going to get? And so Jesus says to them, Matthew 19, 28 to 30, I tell you the truth, in the age when all things are renewed, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And whoever has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And then we get to chapter 20, which is our text this morning. And Jesus begins to tell this parable about the laborers. The main point of the parable is that the master of the house is the one who gets to decide how much each worker gets paid. In spiritual terms, the text is letting us know that God shows his grace to whoever he wants to show grace to. But there's one thing that I want us to hone in on today to encourage us in our walk with the Lord in 2024. I want to spend some time talking about the first laborers. Firstly, they had a wage-based attitude. The first laborers had a wage-based attitude and it was a wrong attitude to have. They started to complain to the master of the house because they had been working since the morning and yet when it came to the time to be paid, they got the exact same same pay as the other workers who only worked half a day or just an hour of the day. That is what happens when you've got a wage-based attitude. These first laborers said they deserved more than those who came later. They said they should not have been categorized with the bunch that came later in the day. These laborers became conscious of themselves and their work. They were counting and assessing what they did. And they believed that they should have gotten more. 
They felt that they deserved more. They started to murmur and complain. They felt contempt for others. They became jealous of the latecomers. Let me tell you this. A wage-based attitude will always get you into trouble because having a wage-based attitude causes you to compare what you've got with what others have. It causes you to measure what you have with the things that other people have. And so there's competition involved, there's selfish motives involved, there's selfish expectations involved, there's judgment involved. If you have the attitude of these first laborers, I'm telling you, you're going to go on in life unhappy for the rest of your life because good will never be good enough for you. And so if all you want to do is complain, then expect to remain. Remain right where you are and go nowhere fast. If all you want to do is complete, is compete and compete and compete, expect to be depleted. Depleted of your energy, exhausting yourself, trying to keep up with the very people who are on the same team as you. If all you want to do is be judgy, then expect everything in your life to be a little bit muddy. Waters that are clear become muddy. Thoughts and ideas that are distinct and intelligible are nothing but muddy because you're judgy. Church, having a wage-based attitude will ultimately leave you unhappy. And let me tell you this morning, to settle for a wage-based attitude is to settle for less than God's best for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, how's your attitude this morning? Say it nicely. <laughs> the second thing that we can see from these laborers is that they had a distorted view of the master. They had a distorted view of the master. The Bible says that when it came time to pay everyone for their work, the master said, pay everyone, but start from the people who came last and then work your way up to the ones who came first. Pay them all a denarius. And then when you get to the workers who were first, pay them the exact same pay. You see, a denarius was how much people would get paid for a day's worth of work. Isn't that crazy? The first workers agreed to get the denarius. And now that they've got what they agreed to, suddenly there's a problem. And so the laborer said, these last few who only worked one hour uh, and, and you have made them equal to us. We've been here all morning. We've borne the heat of the day and, and the burden of the day. In other words, they're saying, master, you're not being fair. The master of the house said, am I not allowed to do what I want to do with what belongs to me? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? You see, an evil eye was a phrase that was used to refer to someone who was jealous, someone who was covetous, but it also meant someone who viewed things through an evil lens. In other words, having an evil eye means to distort things that are considered good, to look at things through the lens of negativity and pride and malice and deceit. A few weeks ago, Haley preached and spoke to us about having an eye problem, that the light of Jesus was not the problem. The problem was the people's perception of the light. They had an eye problem. In much the same way, today's parable is letting us know that the issue of the first laborers is more than just the fact that they got the same as the others. Their issue is so much deeper than the fact that in their opinion, they worked harder and longer than the rest. Their issue is so much deeper than the fact that they felt like they deserved more. They've condemned the generosity of the master and they've called it injustice. They've called it unfairness. And so their problem was that they viewed the generosity of the master as something evil. Actually, their problem was that they've got a distorted view of the master. 
to every person who calls themselves a believer in this place, I want you to know that when you start complaining about what you've got with, comparing what you've got with someone else's stuff, when you start complaining about what you've got, when you start hurling judgments about what other people have and where they're at, when you struggle to celebrate the wins of others because you think that you should be in the front row receiving the, the accolades and the rewards and getting the recognition, when you start to get a whiff of that stuff, you need to check yourself. Because there's every possibility that actually you've got a problem with the generosity of the master of the house. That perhaps you're looking at the generosity of the master through the lens of jealousy and pride. It could very well be that you don't think that what God has given you is good enough. It could be that you have a high view of what you think is fair and so you think you know better than God. You need to check yourself. The first laborers had a distorted view of the master of the house. And so they hadn't come to terms with the fact that actually it's the master's business how much they get paid. It's the master's business, what he does, how he does it, when he does it, and where he does it. The point of the text is to show us that the master of the house is gracious. God is gracious. That his ways ought to shock and surprise us. That he shows grace and mercy and compassion to whoever, wherever, however, whenever he decides. The one who, does, who gives the laborer their reward is the master of the house because it is he who owns everything. And so in a society that encourages wage-based living, a society that constantly views life through the lens of fairness, human fairness, how on earth are we supposed to live as people of the kingdom of heaven? Firstly, you need to recognize that the kingdom of heaven is different. You have to come into Christianity. You have to come into the kingdom of heaven with the mentality that everything is new. You can't be bringing old mentalities and mindsets. You can't afford to be thinking in terms of bargains. You can't be thinking in terms of your rights and your rewards. Quit keeping records or accounts of your work. It's time to throw away the accounting ledgers of the amount of money that you spent for Jesus. Biff the files where you've kept records of how much you've sacrificed for the work of the Lord over the years. Throw away the binder of receipts after receipts after receipts of all the things that you've done that are outside of your job description in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is different. And so you need to keep your eye on God and his glory. Let God keep the accounts. Let God keep the records of what you're doing. Leave the bookkeeping to God, but instead be prepared for surprises because God's accounting methods are not like ours. We operate on wages and what we've done God operates on grace. And so be prepared to be stunned. Be prepared to be marveled. Be prepared to be amazed at what God does. So many people say, oh, Christianity sucks. Christianity quenches my freedom. Christianity is so somber and serious. And Christianity is boring. The reason it's boring is because you brought your old boring self with you. Recognize that the kingdom of heaven is different. It's not like anything that we could try to manufacture or imagine. In the kingdom of heaven, God does what we would never expect according to what we could never earn. And so time and again, we see the profound truth constantly continue to emerge throughout Scripture. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us salvation for something that we have done. He gives us salvation despite everything we've done. Free gift, divine mercy, totally devoid of human merit. God owes us nothing, yet he gives us everything in Christ. Secondly, make room for grace. 
It's all grace. The parable in our text this morning illustrates the principle that everything in the life of a Christian is by grace from the beginning all the way to the ending. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of attitude that says grace gives us a license to do whatever we want and to keep on sinning. The Apostle Paul addresses this and he says, we're dead to sin, so how could we keep on living in it? I'm talking about the grace of God that is given out of the abundance of who God is, not what we do. If you were to ask me today, so how do we make room for grace then in our lives? I would say to you, we do it by putting an end to competing. You do it by putting an end to comparing. Put an end to selfish expectations. Put an end to being judgmental. Let me encourage you today. When you stop comparing yourself and, and your life to others, you will make room for grace to emerge. When you refuse to compete in such a way where someone has to lose in order for you to win, you will make room for grace. When you let go of expectations based on what you think, what you and, and others deserve, you leave room for grace to appear. And I'm telling you that when it does appear, it'll reveal the goodness of God. Grace reveals the goodness of God. Wages reveal human effort. Grace seeks unity and inclusion, but wages make distinctions and separate. Grace just happens. Wages are based on merit. The best thing that you can do in your world, in your job, in your home, in your school, in our community, the best thing that we can do in a wage-based society is to make room for grace. If I can ask the team to join me. As I come to a close this morning, we read that Jesus ends the parable by saying, the last will be first and the first will be last. That's pretty confronting because that's not how our wage-based society works. Society says the last are last, and the first will be first because they deserve it. That's fair. You see, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person comes with an uh, competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for their performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for their long uh, service or high achievements, that's an award. But the thing that you need to realize is that when a person is not capable of earning a wage, when a person can't win no prizes, when a person deserves no award and yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a picture of the nature of the kingdom of heaven. That is a picture of the character of God. That is a picture of the unmerited favor of God. That is a picture of the grace of God. God's grace is God's grace. It's the same for everybody. Since we don't earn it, it comes to us in different ways. To some, it doesn't mean as much because we've been trying to live our lives right all the way along. To others, we haven't done a lot around church or for others who have perhaps come to God much later in their lives, God's grace means a lot more to them. But regardless of whether you've known God for 10 years or 10 minutes, the gift of grace is all the same. And you see, that might seem unfair to you, just like the parable in our text today. So we recoil at the story of people not getting what they deserve. And you might say, that's not fair. God's not fair. And yet that's the whole point of the parable. Because if God's primary description was totally effective, instantaneous fairness, we'd be in hell. If God was to act in absolute fairness, every single guilty person would immediately receive the punishment for their sin. If God was to act in absolute fairness, we would receive all that we earned, death. 
And so I'm glad that God in His grace is unfair because fairness would have sent me to hell. But in Jesus Christ, come on somebody, God took all the unfairness of our lives and our troubled world on Himself and suffered the unfairness of death on the cross that we might have life. It's not fair that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross on your behalf. It's not fair that Jesus endured the rejection that I deserve. It's not fair that God's wrath that should have been ours was poured out on Jesus. It's not fair that God transferred the guilt of humanity on the innocent shoulders of Jesus Christ. In church or hospital or home, in scripture, sermon and song and word and table, we meet this God who is immeasurably kind, immeasurably compassionate, a God who is righteous and just, but a God who was also immeasurably gracious. In Jesus Christ, we find that what seems to be the unfairness of God in saving those who don't seem to deserve it, it is in reality the grace of God for you and me. That actually, the thing that we need to realize is that ultimately, we received something that we absolutely don't even deserve. God's grace. And so instead of worrying about those who don't deserve grace, remember that except for God's grace in Christ, neither do we. And so we extend grace because grace was extended to us too. This morning, you need to know that the only precondition of grace is that we show up and open ourselves to receive what God is giving. And when we do, we begin to see our lives, we begin to see the world, we begin to see our neighbor differently, not through the lens of human fairness, not through the lens of envy or jealousy or pride, but through the lens of divine grace. And as we do, I'm telling you, our world will start to look a lot like the kingdom of heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Perhaps you're here today and you realize that through this message, that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with God or to come into fellowship with God. You need to know today that the God who created this entire universe is the same God who created you as well. He created you on purpose and He created you for a purpose. He created you to know God, to come into loving fellowship with Him and to experience the fullness of life that is only found in Him. But the problem is these this thing that keeps us distant connected from God, that thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But the Bible also says that the consequence, the wages of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the wages of sin, so that we didn't have to pay the consequence of sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He took on Himself what we deserved for sin. And so we must turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. We must turn away from sin 
and turn to Jesus, put our hope in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus for everlasting life. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And so right now in this moment, God is extending to you His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. I accept this gift of grace, this gift of salvation by putting my faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you and you want to do that this morning, I'm going to count to three and I want you to lift your hands and then you can put your hand down straight away. Listen, you don't need to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy, but we want you to know that we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. Lift your hand and you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, He's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, sis. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. There's one more thing I need you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But listen, the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. The prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your hope in Jesus. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn away from sin and I turn to you. I invite you to come into my heart and come into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen.